So the message this morning, interestingly enough, I entitled Rejection, or Rejected, actually. Because rejection is a very powerful feeling, a very powerful, I don't know if it's an emotion or it's a response to emotion, but we all experience rejection at different times, and it affects us all differently. You know, we're kind of all unique in our character, how we might, some people when they get rejected, they get angry. Some people when they get rejected, they get sad and they withdraw. But um, I want us to talk about rejection in light of all that we've been talking about in the book of Acts. So it isn't about rejection because, oh, you gave someone a valentine and they didn't give you one back. We're not talking about that. We've been talking about the church. The church specifically, which was born at Pentecost at the beginning of the book of Acts and is growing day by day or chapter by chapter as we read it. I hope you're reading along. I hope that you're not one of those Christians that doesn't pick up their Bible except on Sunday, um, but you would read it throughout the week. We're going to talk really in a broad sense about chapter 13 and 14 because they kind of uh, fit together really well. And I want you to hear the words of Jesus that he spoke in the Gospels before we get into that. So let's pray, and then we'll read God's Word and think about it together with the help of his Spirit. God, we thank you so much for your Word. Forgive us for when we neglect it. Help us to to really hunger for it, to be strengthened by it to grow because we have it so that we can be more like Jesus. Sometimes the message is just pure encouragement. It's about how much you love us. And other times it's, it's hard to watch what people go through. This is one of those accounts this morning. Like Elder Max was talking about, the beating that Paul and Silas took for their faith. We know there are brothers and sisters around the world who are persecuted for their faith. Some are imprisoned. Some are rejected by their family. So these words are important for them, but they're also important to us. Help us, Lord, to understand your word this morning and speak to our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So Jesus said these words in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. But whoever rejects you, rejects me. Whoever rejects me, however, also rejects the one who sent me. So who sent Jesus? The Father, right? The Father's plan for salvation was to send his Son, as our rescuer. There's a lot of people in our culture who think they can have God, but reject Jesus. They can find another way to God. It doesn't have to be through Christ himself. Even though God's word continually says the opposite. In order for us to find God, we have to find Jesus. He is the door. He is the gateway. He is the entrance point for relationship with God. So whatever others are teaching or telling you or telling others about finding God without finding Jesus is not true according to Scripture. Cannot be true because he is the way. 
He's the truth. He's the life. So this morning, we're going to read a little bit. I hope you will, or have maybe already, read these chapters, but I hope you will again after this, because we can't read through them all and have the time that we need. But we're going to pick up again uh, in the exciting story of the first missionary journey of the early church. And I say it's the journey of the early church. A lot of people want to say it's Paul's missionary journey. But remember who sent Paul? The church, right? They prayed for him. They laid hands on them. It wasn't just Paul who went as well. But often this is referred to as the the first missionary journey of Paul. Paul's not even alone. It's Paul and Barnabas. So we have to be careful because we, like I said a few weeks ago, we get very individually minded. This is the church, their mission to the world. They have sent missionaries Speaking of missionaries, Annette, when are you going on that mission trip? First week of April, we're going to be sending Annette to what country? Malawi, Malawi on a mission trip. So we'll be praying for her. Um, it's exciting, isn't it? The book of Acts is still going on. It didn't stop 2,000 years ago. It's still happening. Churches are still sending people to bring the good news to those who are poor and those who are lost and those who need a savior. So we look forward to that, Annette, and we're praying for you. I didn't forget. Just because I went on a cruise doesn't mean I forgot everything. (laughs) That was a mission trip as well. Anyway, um, in the book of Acts, chapter 13 and 14, Paul and Barnabas have traveled to Poseidon, Antioch. Now, I have the map that Pastor Gary used a couple weeks ago because there's Antioch where they left from. Then they went down to that island there in the middle. And now they've gone back to the mainland, and there's another place, but this one's called Poseidon Antioch. So don't be confused. They didn't go back home. They're, on, they're going even further on their journey. And so, as was their custom, when they entered a new community, if it had a synagogue of Jewish people, they would go to the local synagogue. They would join in with what was happening there. They would sit and listen, but then they would be asked to speak. Now, don't be afraid, any of you newcomers, I'm not going to ask you to speak. But often in the tradition, if you came and you joined in the synagogue and you sat there for that time together, if you were new, they would say, oh, do you have something to share with us? And as you know, Paul, Saul, was a, a, had been a Pharisee. He had been someone who was trained in the law. Um, and so he would have something to say. So when asked, it says here in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, When asked, he stood up to speak. And the interesting thing about the next several verses, in fact, you know, from verse 16 through verse 41 of chapter 13, the interesting thing is that this is the only recording that we have of Paul's sermon in the synagogue. We have lots of other sermons from Paul. He gave them to the church. He gave them out in, uh, to uh, like an open crowd. But in the synagogue where he, he and Barnabas were going, every time they entered a new community, they would find the synagogue and they would begin to talk there. This is the only recording that we have, the one and only. So it's important, and I want you to read through it sometime this week. Paul and Barnabas in it are led to present Jesus to the Jews first when they entered the community. They wanted to make sure that the people who had the background of the Old Testament, the people that had the culture of the Jewish nation and the Hebrews and all of that, heard the message of Jesus first 
They weren't neglecting the Gentiles, but they wanted to make sure that they went there first. Now, who does that sound like? Jesus himself, when he came to earth, he was born a Jew. And he spent his time in the immediate vicinity of Jerusalem, where the Jews lived, preaching and teaching. In fact, when he was, when he was challenged a little bit one time, he said, no, 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 I'm called here. I can't go there right now, right? So they're following in Jesus' footsteps by going and bringing the good news of Jesus. You know, it's interesting, as they tell the story, they start in the Old Testament because that's where the Jews were focused. And the Jews were waiting for the Messiah to come. Now, Paul and Silas and the early Christians knew the Messiah had come, but the Jews had not been told that yet. It's interesting, as they talk, they continue to lay out the foundation of all of this. They start with Moses, then they build to David, and then David's descendants, and then finally to Jesus. Then Paul gives a description to the audience of what happened in Jerusalem around Jesus' death, then his resurrection, and even mentioned how it relates to the Old Testament prophecy, which has now been fulfilled in Christ. Now, since Luke didn't record any of Paul's other synagogue speeches, it's safe for us to to, uh, sort of assume that Paul probably approached the Jews this way every time, starting in the Old Testament with things they already knew, and then building, building, building to the message of Jesus. Not a bad missionary strategy. Now, we won't read the whole sermon here because it would take us too long. But there's one verse in particular I want you to read, and it's verse 38. Verse 38, because he builds this story, he talks about Moses, he talks about David, he talks about the law, he moves them forward into current history, and then he says, therefore, so because of, therefore is a word that means because of all I've just said before this, therefore, verse 38, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, is brought to you, right? Is spoken to you. And through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Now, justified, it's one of those words we don't use too often, but break it down. It's just as if I'd, so just as if I'd never sinned. When you're forgiven, You are given this privilege of being accepted as though you'd never sinned. And we're forgiven in Christ. So his perfect life is applied over our imperfect lives and makes us just as if we'd lived a perfect life. I know that messes with us because we know we didn't, but it's the grace of God. It's the goodness of God that he credits us with what Jesus was able to do. So he's telling the Jews, listen, you've tried to spend all this time keeping the law, and you haven't done it very well, and they know in their conscience that they haven't. And he's saying, but Jesus now offers you that perfection through your faith in him. So everyone who believes in him is justified. You can never be good enough, but Jesus was and is good enough to justify us before God. 
Look at verse 42. It says, As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. So there was initially acceptance of this message. In verse 43, when the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. Verse 44, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. This is exciting. It's like a revival is taking place. However, keep reading, because in verse 45, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy, and they talked abusively against Paul and what Paul was saying. So... We start to see this big movement of God, and then there's a reaction. There's a, a, a change in the air. Now, what happens here is, unfortunately, the local religious Jewish people reject the message that Paul brings. But the good thing is, the thing that God brings out of this rejection is something good. The good thing is, it frees them to concentrate completely on the Gentiles. The Gentiles are just the rest of the world, right? So there's the Jews and the Gentiles. That's the way the Old Testament mind was. That's the way God had shown them. There's the Jews and then there's the rest of the nations. So now that the Jews again were rejecting this message, not all of them, but as a religious group, as religious leaders, they were rejecting this message that Paul brought. It freed them up. It freed them up to be able to turn to the Gentiles and to boldly proclaim God's word to them. So this is a good thing, even though it's mixed in with some of the bad. This is kind of how life is, right? It's not all good all the time. Sometimes there's some challenges and some trials and some things, and sometimes there's some rejection. Paul and Barnabas concentrate on the Gentiles, and they actually share a verse from Isaiah 49.6, which says, I have made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So the reaction to that, when the Gentiles hear that salvation is offered to them, is in verse 48 of chapter 13. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, and they were honored. Honored. They honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed, all that were appointed to eternal life, believed. So they, they had this awesome change from being outsiders in God's eyes to being welcomed in through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they believed, and they received eternal life. And then it says that the word of the Lord, verse 49, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. So there was a revival. There was something exciting that was taking place because God's word, yes, it was presented to the Jews. Many of them rejected it, but then Paul and, and Barnabas and the rest of them continued to share the good, the good word of God with the world. And it's interesting because you think, okay, well, now there's no more trouble. But because it was spreading, if you continue to read down through this, the end of chapter 13, it says, the, that the, um, the Jews incited some God-fearing women in high standing and leading men in the city, and they stirred them up, and they stirred up a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So Paul and Barnabas shook the dust from their feet, which was a custom 
when they were leaving in protest against them, and they went on to another city, Iconium. And the disciples, instead of being discouraged, instead of being overwhelmed, instead of feeling rejected and sad and poor me, look how they treated us. We did all that good, and look at it. We were rejected. Instead of that, let's read verse 52 together. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but when I get rejected, that's not my first emotional response. Right? But they were filled with joy because they didn't just look at the negative, the bad things that happened. They looked at some of the positive and the good things that happened, right? In that whole situation, that whole region, many people came to Christ. Yes, they were rejected by some and some important people and some influential people did not like them anymore and got them out of there. But they didn't focus on that. They focused on what was important. And what was important is that salvation came to those households, that people were brought to Christ that had never heard the good news, and that God's kingdom expanded even though there was some, uh, some rejection of that message. So this is good. This is good stuff, even though it's not easy stuff. Because we don't usually respond to rejection this way. I wanted... With God's, with God's inspiration, I wanted to focus on this for us. Because we are called to be witnesses, every single one of us, every single day. And sometimes, because we have experienced rejection, we shut that down. We keep quiet. We withdraw. We talk over here where nobody can hear us. But that is not the reaction of the early church. These people were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. So there's some important things that we can realize here. Number one was that verse I started with, with Jesus' own words. He said, when you are rejected, I'm being rejected. He identifies himself with us because he lives within us by the power of his Holy Spirit. So we can learn some very important things about rejection from this passage, these, these two chapters here. But let's look at a few things here before we go this morning. Because as Christians, we must discover how to deal with rejection, or we will shut down what we're actually here to do. In other words, the enemy will win. If he can shut us down, if he can shut us up, he wins. And we know that's not the story. The story is that God will be victorious through the church, that the word of God will continue to go out, and some will reject it, but some will receive it. And we need to keep sharing the good news so the kingdom of God can continue to advance. So we need a a freedom from people and people's responses. We should not be fearful of men. Because if, if we don't have this freedom, our effectiveness goes down. If we're not free from their reactions. Elvin, there's the next slide here. So this, this freedom from people and their responses is, is, is in here. You can see it already. The disciples were rejected by the influential people of that region, but they didn't let it get to them. Somehow they were strong enough because of the Spirit to still 
have joy in their hearts. So let's look at three different cities here that are mentioned in uh, Acts chapter 14. And there's really three different scenarios that go on. The first one is Iconium. So this is where they went next. So they left that area where they had started and they moved in Poseidon Antioch and they moved into the next area there on the map. Um, so when they got there, there's a strange situation that takes place. It's, it's kind of a mixture between tremendous acceptance and terrible rejection. And they, and they kind of come one right after the other, like one foot falls and then the next one falls. So, so here's, here's the situation. They come into this area and what happens is the, the, the leaders there, um, begin to hear from the other leaders in the other, in the other city that they need to reject these guys. They need to reject this message. But they continue to share the good news. And as they share the good news, um, the people, they didn't really listen very well. And because there had been some miracles that came along with their preaching, the people assumed that they were Zeus. And who's the other guy? Hermes. These two um, mythological gods that these people in this region that they worshipped. Because they knew that they were gods, but they didn't know who they were. And so now these two men show up, and they are able to, to speak and have God move in that area and heal someone who had been sick for a very long time. And so the people jump to the conclusion, if you look in uh, verse, verse 12 of chapter 14, Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes. Because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bowls and wreaths to the city because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to these guys. So God was working. If you, if you read the beginning of that story, God was working. He brought, he brought the message of salvation. He brought a healing to confirm that this was God. But the people didn't listen very well. And they just sort of jump to conclusions. So it looks like there's a great, going to be great acceptance of this message, but the problem is the people didn't actually hear the message. They got so wrapped up in what was happening, so excited about the healing, so excited about these two new guys who showed up, and now all this amazing stuff is happening, that they didn't actually hear the message of salvation. They didn't even hear about God. They made up their own definition and so this is, this is important for us to understand because you could get caught up in this a little bit. I know um, in lots of uh, old, old TV, I used to watch Gilligan's Island. Any of you know what Gilligan's Island is? Well, there was one time when Gilligan, um, he, he found some, some native people or some native people found him and made him into like a, their god and set him up on a throne and all this stuff and brought him coconuts to drink out of and were worshiping him, you know. So this is what comes to mind you know, is that in this situation, um, you know, you could eat that stuff up. If someone makes you into like a little god and starts to worship you, this happens in real life. There are leaders all over the world who are Sucking that up. They love that. You know, just keep honoring me. Just keep worshiping me. They're taking the glory that's meant for God alone unto themselves. And that's wrong. That is not Christianity. Jesus humbled himself. Jesus, who was God, humbled himself and became like a servant and washed his disciples' feet as an example for us as to what the kingdom of God was really all about. Not about building a personal kingdom. 
It's not about being thought of so highly by everybody and worshipped by everybody. When you're around people like that, notice. Pay attention. Because something's off. Something's not quite right. Now, we all like everyone to like us. Right? We, we love that. Who doesn't like to be liked? If you don't, then eh, maybe something wrong there. We all like to be liked. The problem with that is that if we feed that too much, like I said before, we'll stop talking about Jesus. Because guess what? The world has generally rejected Christ and continues to reject Christ because he calls us to humble ourselves. He calls us into a relationship with him where we're dependent on him. We're no longer just our own boss. He becomes the boss, Savior and Lord of our lives. It's funny because one rejection in us wipes away a hundred acceptances. For instance, if you've been complimented again and again and again on something, maybe you're wearing a new dress this morning, ladies, and people are like, oh, that's a lovely dress. That's a good color on you. Da, 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 da. But then one person, so maybe a hundred of you all comment on the, the lovely dress that the woman has on, but one person comes up and says, that is trashy, and walks away. What's the thing you're going to remember? Uh, the 99 other really nice compliments you got? No, there's something about our, our, our brain right, that we're just going to remember the one person who looked at us and went, trashy, and walked away. One thing. And this is what we have to be aware of. When we are here to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, to share the love of God with other people, we may have 99 people who receive that love, receive that message, turn their lives, and begin to walk with Jesus. But one person can crash your whole house of cards? One rejection? So what we see in these early apostles, what we see in the disciples, is that they don't let that get to them. Somehow, they are able to, to walk in power and not to, to shrink away from the message. So what is the secret? They don't stop witnessing after they're talked abusively about in chapter 13, verse 45, after they're persecuted in verse 49, when people refuse to believe and poisoned other people's minds against them in chapter 14, verse 2, after a plan was actually put together to mistreat them and to stone them with stones in, in chapter 14, verse 5. And finally, when they succeed in stoning Paul and dragging him out of the city because now he's unconscious and they leave him as dead, they still don't give up. These people are relentless. They're going to keep telling others about Jesus. We need that DNA, people. We need to be, especially those of us who live in New England, you know? New England's not an easy place. You go down south and everybody's like, praise Jesus, you know? But up here, don't say Jesus out loud in public, right? It's a totally different a region of the country, totally different uh, relationship. So how did they handle this? How do we need to handle this? How did Paul and Barnabas overcome becoming obsessed with the negativity and keep going and staying positive? I believe, as always, the secret is the power of the Holy Spirit. 
not on the positive or negative reaction of people. We are to be God-focused, not people-focused. Even though he calls us to love people and to serve people, yeah, we have to pay attention to people. I'm not saying be so heavenly-minded to know earthly good. But when it comes to sharing Christ, we have to remember, Christ himself was rejected. He said to his disciples, if they reject me, they're going to reject you. Same message, same grace of God, same forgiveness that's being offered, the cleansing of sin. So they relied on the Holy Spirit. They kept their eyes or their hearts somehow focused on him, regardless of whether people loved them or hated them. Christ's spirit filled them with a passion to reach lost people no matter what it cost. No matter what it cost. I mean, that's huge. That's a big thing here, right? If it cost them their reputation, if it cost them their comfort, if it cost them their health, no matter what it cost, they were going to tell people about Jesus. This is the secret to revival. This is the secret to bringing God to the nations, is remembering that no matter what it costs, because it costs Jesus his very life, no matter what it costs us, we've got to let people know who Jesus is through our words and through our actions, no matter what the cost, and to depend on the Holy Spirit, not others, to fill us with the peace, the strength, the determination, the boldness, the love, the wisdom that it takes to bring the gospel to a nation, to bring the gospel to your family, to bring the gospel to the people that you work with. So the disciples, after Paul was actually stoned to death, they thought. Now, when I say stoned, it has nothing to do with marijuana. It is a way of killing someone. They took big stones and they smashed them on the person. That's what it means to be stoned back then. I know it has a new meaning. Wipe that from your mind. Remember, the Bible is the truth. So when Paul was stoned nearly to death in, in chapter 14, verse 19... Some of the Jews came from Antioch. Now, Antioch's a city they began in, and then Iconium, the next city that rejected them. Those Jews had followed him now, and they won the crowd over, it says, and they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. So they succeeded in their plan. They got to shut this guy down. They thought. They thought. But let's look at verse 20. Before we have to go here this morning, after the disciples had gathered around Paul, he got up and he went back into the city. I love it. You can't keep this guy down, right? Now, there's an important fact here that we have to notice. After the disciples gathered around him. So he was left as though he were dead. And if you just saw your friend get killed, you might not want to stick around that same area, right? You might want to run and hide. That's what the disciples did before Pentecost, remember? When they saw Jesus crucified, they ran and they hid. They, they, they locked themselves in a you know, room. They hid because they were so afraid, but not anymore. These disciples are like, nope, that's our guy. And yeah, he's laying there and he looks bad, but that's our guy. And they came around him. 
This is an important ministry moment, right? They came around him. He was hurting. He was bleeding. He didn't even look like he was alive anymore. They came around him. There's some kind of power that was released in that. I know it's the power of God. I'm not saying it's just the people, but they came around him, and then he got up. How amazing is that? We don't know if, he, if they prayed. I think they did. We don't know if they, they, they quoted scripture. They probably did. They, we don't know if they had some medicine with them. Maybe they had some smelling salts and they put them in. We don't know because Luke doesn't tell us anything. All it says is he was dead and then he gets up and he goes back into the city. Love it. How exciting is that? That you cannot keep the message of God down. This is true even today. This is true in other nations of this world. This week, I spent a lot of time listening to testimonies of Christians in Iran. Iranian Christians. Iran is a very tyrannical, Muslim, radical country. And to be a Christian, you will get a beating. You will be threatened with death. You will be thrown out of your apartment and be be made homeless. And yet these Christians, they just keep going. They're like Paul. They got like Paul's DNA. They get back up and they keep sharing Christ with others. It's amazing. So, so there's all kinds of amazing testimonies to that. And I, and I can't get into them. I would love to just make you stay here all day and we'll watch them on YouTube and we'll be like excited. But we're not going to do that. The message is about Jesus. The message is that rejection of the message of Jesus is not a sign that you're doing something wrong. It's not a sign that you're a failure. It's not a sign that God's not with you, for he is with you. The world rejects him because he calls us to surrender our lives to him. And a lot of people don't want to surrender. They want to do things their own way. They want to be their own God. They want people to respect them and think highly of them. They don't want to serve. They don't want to love. They don't want to lay down their lives. But if you're going to be a true disciple of Jesus, you're going to walk with some wounds. You're going to work with some wounds. You're going to, you're going to work around wounded people. You're going to have to work through those wounds because it's not going to be easy. Jesus never promised it would always be easy. And so when we follow him, we'll get wounded by some people who don't want to hear it. They may slug you, you know. They may reject you on Facebook. They may say, I don't want to be your friend anymore. What are you going to do? Take after the early Christians. Don't let it stop you. Let the message of God continue to flow through you. This is the message for us as we read these two chapters. Have we shut it down too much? Have we been rejected so much that we've really stopped having the boldness and the love to share Christ with others? That's the question, Holden Chapel. Because if we want to grow in the kingdom of God, if we want to be mature and be filled with the Spirit of God, we're going to get rejected, just like Jesus. And they considered it an honor to be treated that way. They saw Christ treated this way. And then when they were treated that way, they were like, wow, that I get to be treated that way as well. Strange 
but it's the God's kingdom. There's this verse in chapter 14. When they go back and they're encouraging the church as they return back to uh, the original Antioch. It says they returned, they preached the good news, verse 21 of chapter 14. They won a large number of disciples. They returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith, verse 22. And then it says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And that's in quotes. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean they earned their place in the kingdom. It just means being in the kingdom of God, there are some trials and some hardships and some difficulties that we'll go through because we follow Christ faithfully. I've been reading this new translation, the Passion Translation, and and it says it this way, which really turned it around some and challenged me, and you got to go back and look at the Greek and all of that, but I just want you to read, read these words with me. I think I have them on the screen from Acts 14.22. At each place that they went, they strengthened the lives of the believers and encouraged them to go deeper in their faith. And then they said this, in quotes, it is necessary for us to enter into the realm of God's kingdom because that's the only way we will endure our many trials and persecutions. Really opened up some of that for me. Wow. Entering the kingdom of God, remembering that God is king, remembering that we're filled with the Holy Spirit, remembering the power of his word and the power of the gospel, entering into that in our minds, in our hearts, with our soul helps us to endure the many trials and persecutions that come by sharing our faith. So, church, I just want to encourage you. You're not in it alone. We do this together. Throughout this chapter, they talk about Paul and Barnabas, but when you read this last section, which I hope you will sometime this afternoon or this evening or whatever, when you can quiet yourself, I want you to notice the word they. And the word we. Because even though a lot of this is about Paul and Barnabas, this passage, as Luke continues to write this out about the history of the church, is full of the word they. They preached the gospel. They won a large number of disciples. They returned to the three cities and they strengthened others. They appointed elders in the church. They fasted and prayed. They committed themselves to the Lord. And then they returned home to Antioch, the church that had sent them. See, nobody does it alone. If you're doing it alone, you're doing it wrong. Find someone to be your prayer partner. Find someone to be your encourager. Find someone to pray for you when you feel wounded and like you want to give up. Because we can't do it alone. That's why God created the church. Amen? He gave us to each other to help encourage each other to bring the message of hope to the world. And no one should do it alone. Amen. 